0: The word of God from 2 Samuel. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He's in the house of Makir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Makir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar, and Mephibosheth what is your servant that you would show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belong to Saul and to all his house, I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of king's, one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house Became Mephibosheth's servants, so Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. This is God's word given for our good. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever.
1: Would you please remain standing just a little bit longer? Um. And would you just give me the privilege this week, there were two tragic deaths. Um, One was uh, Pastor Harry Reader. He uh, pastors a very significant church in the PCA, and uh, the majority of my time in ministry was under him prior to coming to Denver, Um, and he died in a tragic accident just suddenly this week. And then the very next day... Um, even more near dear to Denver Press, uh, Pastor Tim Keller uh, lost his battle with pancreatic cancer. And, uh, and I can uh, say that there is no man that has more uh, impact um, in my life as a minister than Tim Keller, and that was also true for my predecessor here at Denver Press. And so this church owes a great debt of gratitude to uh, Pastor Tim Keller and his uh, ministry. And so as we pray and ask God to ...sort of make our hearts uh, soft to him through his word. Also, I just want to pray uh, in, in the shadow of that, on those two big losses. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that your presence never leaves us. And though we indeed walk through valleys of sadness and loss... And though we would be apart from people whom we love, you give us your presence in double portion. Lord, I do pray for uh, Briarwood Presbyterian Church. Um, I know many must be reeling in the sadness of their senior pastor suddenly passing away. Watch over them, keep them, and may your bride shine more radiantly as they grieve but people as grieve as people with hope and for lord the Keller family first we thank you for his ministry his shadow looms large extends far on the horizon and we thank you that in your wisdom you would use servants like him to teach us more about you and so bless his ministry even as it goes on without him as he is with you now Lord and I pray for his family and Kathy as it must be so difficult to lose a loved one may his uh may his legacy be one of equipping all of us to love you more profoundly and with clarity And this morning, Lord, we ask that by your Spirit, you'd soften our hearts. We confess we are hard-hearted and conveniently distracted when the Bible is opened, but Lord, by your Spirit, soften our hearts, open the eyes of our hearts, teach us to see you and to follow you. We pray this to the glory of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Denver Prez. Um, If you are new here or just visiting, we're so thankful that you are here. It's uh, it's our practice to um, take the scriptures and work through them. Uh, We believe that these ancient stories are true. Uh, We believe that modern people need to swim in them and mine them and figure out what they mean for us, that we would know the one true God of the universe. And so this morning, we are in 2 Samuel. We had, even last semester, studied through the salient passages of 1 Samuel, and then we took a break, and now we're back in 2 Samuel, and we've subtitled the sermon series, uh, Acquiring a Taste for God as Our King, as Our Ruler. And we've said that you know, most of these stories in First and Second Samuel are really disturbing. And, um, but, but through them, as we give ourselves to them, our souls are being fine-tuned to long for a greater king, for a greater ruler. And so today, uh, this morning, our text isn't so much as disturbing as it is uh, odd. We're going to learn about this man named Mephibosheth. And most likely, most of you have never heard of him before. Uh, his name isn't one of those names that we use for our children. That's not, uh, it's not high on the list of Bible names. And uh, he's, this, this guy's never commanded any armies. He's never won any battles. He's not a hero. And most certainly, you don't find him in your children's storybook Bibles. But in this man... You will see the story of humanity. You will see the relationship between us and God. You will see your story in this man's life. And so as you read 2 Samuel, this story interrupts the action, and it serves as like this this parenthesis of sorts. Like, why include this You know, odd little story, because if you read 2 Samuel, it just kind of slows down the action. So, why? Well, here's why. It appears that this story is included in the Bible for the express purpose of showing us our relationship with our king. In this story, we are given an answer to the question, where is home? Where is home? Is home. Just a just a bit of trivia. Young Mexican kids like myself in the '90s really liked this guy named Morrissey. Remember him, the former lead singer of the Smiths? Anyone? Okay, there's a few of you. Uh, I'm not sure why little Mexican kids in the '90s liked Morrissey so much, but it was definitely true for me and all my cousins. And uh, one in one of his songs, you know, he's super angsty. Uh, he asked this question Home, is it just a word or is it something you carry within you? I like those questions. You know, we're deep into May, which means it is graduation season. It's from kindergarten graduations, that's a thing, to eighth grade, to seniors, to college, to grad school. Uh, Lots of graduations. And for all of you who are graduating, uh, we are so proud of you. It is no small feat. We are so, so proud of you. Congratulations. I can remember when I was a senior in high school, there was one question that I got more than all others. And it was this. What are you doing after graduation? And I remember that I heard that question like so much, I got sick of hearing it. And so when people would ask what I'm doing after graduation, I decided I would just tell them, that I'm taking a nap. And I did, for the record. But see, when people are asking that question, what they really want to know is where are you going? Like when you peek into the future, what's next? And this is their way of asking, where will you call home? Because graduation seems like this seam in life that is Uh, It's marking the beginning of a journey, and this is a journey that we are all on, and it is a search for home. And at graduation, our loved ones are asking, right? They're asking for an address, or they're asking for a school, or a job that will be on your resume. And if it were only that easy, because as grads will soon find out, the search for home is really elusive, This is the quest of adulthood. This is the quest of life, really. We are all looking for home, and yet it is so elusive. It's why in 2020, when we were all locked down in our houses, even in our houses, we were uneasy, still looking for home. Well, in this obscure passage, this man named Mephibosheth, in him we find someone who found a home in a place he never expected to find it. And so this morning, we're going to study this passage, and we're going to see ourselves, church. Now, admittedly, to understand all the beautiful things happening here in chapter 9, you're going to have to turn on your thinking caps and be a patient listener uh, it's going to require a bit of explaining, but my aim is to un- mine this story, and uh, and I'll do that under kind of three headings for you note takers. Uh, first, we're going to look at the backstory. Then we're going to look at the story, and we'll finish with our story. So let's begin with the backstory. So the story of Mephibosheth begins much earlier than chapter nine. He was born into a royal family. His grandfather was the once great king of Israel, King Saul, and his father was a prince, Jonathan, which was King David's very best friend, which means Mephibosheth was in the royal line. He was in the dynasty, living in a palace, and he knew who he was and where he belonged. And you know, I wonder if he had a happy childhood. Was he just a normal kid? Like, did he have heroes? I mean, maybe he did, right? Maybe it was his father's best friend, David. After all, all of Israel knew that David had slayed the giant. They even had songs about it. Was he just like a little kid who would walk around with a slingshot in his back pocket and a few pebbles there? Or maybe the opposite was true. Perhaps he grew up thinking that David was this cruel, wicked villain because his grandfather, King Saul, had this uncontrolled jealousy towards him. Who knew exactly what he knew? But what we do know is everyone knew David. Now, when this young boy was five years old, on one fateful day, everything would change. In an instant, his world would be turned upside down. While his grandfather was busy chasing David, he was attacked by another army, by the Philistine army. And again, the house of Saul was at war with the Philistines. And they attacked. And on the very same day, this little boy lost both his dad and his grandfather. Both Jonathan and King Saul were killed on the very same day. And the world was never the same again for five-year-old Mephibosheth. On that day, he became an orphan, and it got worse. See, when the king dies... His army is defeated, and the city is left undefeated. And the Philistine army was on their way to the palace to kill every person related to the house of Saul in order to secure their triumph. And so the whole house fled, literally running for their lives. And in chapter 4, we are told that the young boy's nurse picked him up in order to run out of the city in order to save his life. But in her haste, she stumbled and she dropped the boy, broke both of his ankles, and those bones never set correctly. And he would be lame the rest of his life. And he would never run again. On the same day that he would become an orphan, he also became disabled and could never provide for himself and he was exiled from the only home that he ever knew. And he had to flee the country. And he, att- he attempted to li- live in complete obscurity in a small town under the authority of foreigners. As it says in verse 4, he is in the house of Makir the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. This is a town that is so remote, so insignificant and undesirable... That archaeologists to this day are not even certain exactly where it is. This young child lost his home, and he lost who he was and where he belonged. And because he couldn't run, if you can't run, you got to hide. Because if anyone ever found out who he was, he would be considered a threat for insurrection, and he would be eliminated. And so he lived in fear, and he lived in exile. And he was never able to return to the palace to get his stuffed animals or to retrieve his slingshot. And worst of all, Mephibosheth lived perpetually in the shadow of death. And when he heard the knock at his door, When he was drawn out of his obscurity, he was not excited that he was finally known. Because to be known was the scariest thing in the whole world, and it felt like death. Never fully being known was not great, but the alternative was worse, so it seemed to him. Living under the shadow of death was the only life this poor kid ever lived. And now I just want to pause here. Because remember, Mephibosheth represents all of humanity. We can see in his life the whole story of the Bible. We can see in him the human predicament. You remember the story, of course. Adam and Eve, our first parents, were born into this beautiful world that was enchanted. But overnight, everything changed. Because of their rebe- rebellion, the whole world was turned upside down and they were exiled to live lives of obscurity, and to live lives under the shadow in sentence of death. And they never wanted to be fully known again. They did everything to hide and then God would come knocking on their door and they hid themselves in fig leaves and then again later in animal skins. Anything. Anything. Just anything to not be fully seen, to not be fully known. Church, that's our story. We too live in exile, and we often wonder, will I be rejected if I'm fully seen, if I'm fully known? If someone discovers who I really am, the fraud that I really am, will I be cast away as well? Will I get a knock on my door, and will I be exposed for who I am? Some of you can relate to the actual details of Mephibosheth. Maybe you were five years old when you lost a parent to sickness. Or maybe you lost both of your parents in a messy divorce, and your once-charmed childhood was turned upside down. And the world has been disorienting ever since. Whatever your story is, this one can interpret the homelessness that the the exile that you feel deep in your gut. Where is home? Can I be fully known? Must I remain in hiding? And what do I do when I hear knocking on the door? Thankfully, the story continues. So far I've given you the backstory, story, but what about the story here in chapter 9? This is our second point. I can remember when I was very young, uh, my father was going through a transition in his life. Uh, it was a transition when so, sort of like the hardness and the strictness that had characterized him for so long uh, was was beginning to ease up and fade away and I remember this season uh, very specifically because it began with a very gentle knock on my bedroom door at 4 a.m. in the morning Now I grew up in a very small home so I shared the small room with my two other brothers and my father caught all three of us in a sleepy stupor disoriented And what came next uh, was a situation that I had no categories for. For whatever reason, my dad wanted to surprise his children with Shipley donuts at 4 a.m. in the morning. I am a Texan, so we eat Shipleys. And uh, he did this at 4 in the morning for no good reason except to bless us. Now, it's important to understand, uh, my family comes from humble means, so we did not eat food outside of our home, uh, much less donuts. And so there we were, trying to make sense of it all, trying to interpret all of the details. And my own little silly story helps me to understand how beautifully disorienting the knock was for Mephibosheth. See, our passage begins in verse 1 in your text, David asks, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? See, David at this point is now the king of the whole nation. He has established the capital city in Jerusalem. In the chapter prior, in chapter 8, there's this broad summary of how the kingdom expands widely under David's rule. In chapter 9, our chapter, we're seeing, we're seeing now a more intimate picture of how David curates his leadership during that time. And he asks, is there anyone left that I might show him kindness? David wants to use what he has to show kindness, or what in verse 3 he calls show kind, the kindness of God. Now that word Chesed, which is translated kindness there. It's this powerful and sacred word in Hebrew. It's one of the first words you learn in Hebrew school. It's a hard word to really get into English. Sometimes we translate it as love, sometimes loyalty, sometimes steadfast love or steadfast faithfulness. But 99% of the time that that word is used, it is talking about God and how God shows fidelity to the promises that he has made to us. It's the word that the scriptures use to talk about God's love to us. And so David has been loved with incredible fidelity and hesed that now he wants to love with fidelity. He wants to show the kindness of God. Now, David is at the apex of his power. He's ascended to the throne. And what is his intuition in that moment? It is to give good gifts, to give kindness and grace and fidelity. You know, this week, the church, if you're, if you're following the church calendar, we celebrated the 39th day after Easter Commonly known as the Day of Ascension, right? Jesus walked the earth after his resurrection, and then on the 40th, he was taken up and ascended to the throne where he rules at the right hand of God the Father, right? In Ephesians chapter 4, speaking of Jesus' ascension, Paul says, When Jesus ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men when jesus ascended he led us to freedom and gave us good gifts including his own spirit to live out his role in a world with and to do it with in peace and in joy now in this moment in david's life in this passage he is a pointer To the ascended king. He has ascended as a king and he is pointing to the ascended king. He is using, David is using all of his good gifts, all of his talents, all the skill that he has been given. And believe me, those things are significant. He's using all of those good things for the good of others. And here David is giving good gifts away. What a kindness from the king. Now, why is David looking for someone from Saul's house? So if you'll remember, you guys, from our study in 1st Saul, we took two weeks to just explore the friendship between David and Jonathan, if you'll remember that last semester. The two of them made a promise of friendship, saying, God will be between me and you forever. And this is an incredible promise, and David is remaining Faithful, making good on that promise, even in the shadow of his slain best friend. And so this guy, Ziba, finds out that Jonathan has a son and explains to David the the situation that Mephibosheth is in. So verse 5, King David sent Ziba to summons Mephibosheth. That's a doozy of a name. That's why we don't name our children Mephibosheth he summons Mephibosheth to his courts. This this is a disorienting knock at the door. The day that this guy hoped would never have come had finally arrived, and he leaves his little obscure village on what he thought was a death march. Everyone knows how ancient Near Eastern kingships work, When there is a change in power, the sons from the former house were eliminated. That's just how it works. Mephibosheth has lived his entire life knowing that he is viewed as a potential insurrectionist. And you can tell that he has internalized all of this his entire life. All of this fear, all of this misfortune, all of this obscurity, all of this pain... He calls himself, in verse 8, a dead dog. And so when he arrives, he does what anyone would do in that situation. Verse 6, it says, he falls on his face in fear and pays homage to the king. And in that moment of vulnerability, into the fearful silence... David begins with just one word, Mephibosheth. He says his name. He says his name to him. I wish you could read tone in these passages, but what I know for sure is that he heard more kindness in his name than he Ever dreamed he could hear and i know this is true because of what david says to him next in verse seven he says do not fear for i will show you kindness for the sake of your father jonathan and i will restore to you all the land of saul your father and you shall eat at my table always Caught off guard like the knocking at the door when you are in dead sleep, totally disoriented, Mephibosheth finds himself in a situation that he never expected, a new life that he never allowed himself to even dare to dream of. David was not going to let, allow him to live in that dusty, ignis, insignificant city, Lodabar. He's going to give him and allow him to live on all the lands of his grandfather, Saul. This kid, Mephibosheth, is not going to be in exile, and he will not be forgotten. He's going to be a member of the royal house. And the most beautiful symbol that that is true is what David says to him at the very end of verse 7. You shall eat at my table always. And did you catch that that is the most repetitive phrase in this entire passage? It's mentioned at least four times that he will always eat at the king's table as one of the king's sons. No longer does he live in the shadow of death, but now in the fellowship of life. And Denver Prez, I don't want you to miss this. Mephibosheth did not just get pardoned by David. He didn't just say, leave and provide for yourself. I'll let you live. He he did not get a pardon only. He was adopted. He's adopted by the king. And he sat in the house of David and and ate as one of the king's sons. And he was not only restored the lands of his grandfather, but he gets a relationship with King David. Eating at David's table meant that he received a home, a place of belonging. You see that? He received a home. And church, it is so important that you understand what we are to learn from this story. Sometimes we might think that God simply spared our lives or forgave us of our sins because that's what God does. But we are told time and again in the scriptures that we are not just pardoned, but we are adopted. We don't only go from death to life. We go from being an orphan to being a daughter and a son. And so many of us, I'm afraid, relate to God as as someone who who just gets their debts forgiven. But we're still like at ground zero, right? We think of God as someone who simply just kind of gives us a second chance. But now we have to like work for it. I mean, sure, we don't have any debt anymore, but we're still completely broke with nothing in the bank. And so we live our lives in this cycle of debt and obligation, just trying our best, but incredibly spiritually weary to just fill up the account. But that couldn't be farther from the testimony of the Scriptures. Because of Christ, we get to eat at the king's table We eat and dine at the table of the Lord. We are at a place where we belong. And this is the home that our souls are desperately looking for. It is all grace. And you can see it in Mephibosheth's life. Right? Remember last week... When God countered David's dumb idea to build him a house by telling him that he would build him a house, this perpetual dynasty. And, and what, did, what did we see David do last week? A quiet, sacred hush comes upon him as he sat before the Lord and asked, Who am I, O Lord, that you have brought me this far? Because David knows that he did nothing to earn this loving fidelity. Well, in our passage, that same sacred hush comes upon Mephibosheth because he knows that it's all grace. And he asks in verse 8, What is your servant that you would show regard for him? A dead dog such as I. Like, Lord, I have absolutely nothing, and you have given me everything a relationship home, a home with you. Denver Prez, is that how you understand your relationship with God? I really want us to see the Lord for who He is. and I want the palate of our soul to long for Him more than anything else and so we have to get this right the story of Mephibosheth is a story of humanity and this per- peculiar story I began I started by giving us the backstory, story and then I tried to look at the details of this story itself if you'll allow me I'm just gonna finish with our story and you know our story well don't you There's this homelessness that we experience, this shadow of death that haunts us, haunts our loved ones. And we can feel in our souls uh, the exile, in, in the drudgery and the grind, the toil of our daily lives. There's this triviality of meaninglessness even at times. And our souls, like, they really do militate against this. We're, we're begging for this life to mean more. I mean, we're made in God's image. We know there must be more. And we want deep relationship. We do, but we are afraid to be really known. But we hear the knock. And when that knock is on our door, we ask and wonder, will this knock be the messenger who really exposes us for the frauds that we are? And we're afraid. And unexpectedly, the king summons us, and more than pardon, he makes us a daughter or a son. And we're not just trying to please him in order to earn the right to be his child. We're simply just so hushed by his gracious and good gifts that we want to apply his fidelity and his kindness. And we want to apply it it in our homes and in our families and in our churches and in our city and anywhere that the Lord would have us. And every week, Denver Presley, like, I'm begging you to believe me about what I'm saying of his grace and of his kindness. Because I know, I know that you cannot be a dispenser of God's gracious kindness until you experience it for yourselves. Otherwise, you will just see those acts of grace as a way of working for God's favor. But that's not how it works you transform into a giver of God's faithful love only from the place of sitting at his table. A table that you were so graciously invited to and adopted into. Later on, in chapter 19, you're going to see one more story of Mephibosheth at a really low point in his life. Because he would be betrayed by his servant, Ziba. So Ziba lied and told David, while David was away during a time of civil war, that Mephibosheth had betrayed him. And this, of course, was not the case. In fact, Mephibosheth had been grieving the whole time as David was away. And when David returns, he sees Mephibosheth. He could tell that he had been grieving his he was completely unkempt, as would be fitting for a person who was in an extended time of bereavement. There were, his clothes were ragged. There was ashes. His, his beard was overgrown. And David sees him, and he says, hey, Mephibosheth, what, what's going on? What happened? And David learns the truth. He learns all that had happened. And so David says very graciously, well, I shall restore to you all the land's. Of your grandfather Saul. And, and Mephibosheth says, I don't even care anything about the land. I just want you. I just want you. Where is home? Home is in the presence and at the table of our Heavenly Father. And this story prepares us to meet Jesus. You hear me? The story prepares us to meet Jesus. See, David, for the sake of Jonathan, loved Mephibosheth and made him a son. And our Heavenly Father, for the sake of Jesus loved us, and made us sons and daughters. And when we receive this grace, it is free, just like the love of a father. It comes to us freely, and it makes us free, it liberates us, and it binds us in love to the one who gives it. And no longer are we orphans or clients or servants of God, we are free family and our prayers take on a new character we say god i don't even care anything about your gifts i just want you i just want you and you lord i have found a home denver pres receive this grace rejoice in it Give it to one another, offer it to the world, because what I am saying to you cannot be found anywhere else. And may we know for certain that we are all children of the King, and we shall sit with him at his table, and we shall feast forever. Amen. Amen.